On this edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuck, we talk a little bit about the Falcons draft, what I think they will actually do. Plus, we will talk to our Locked On Braves reporter, Jake Mastroianni, and uh, we'll have a few follow-ups about the Braves as they get ready to take on the Chicago Cubs after a disappointing weekend series against the Miami Marlins. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta as we are just a couple of days away from the NFL draft. It's like Christmas comes early for us in the springtime, right? Want to remind you, uh, go to our YouTube channel, go to the YouTube page, go to youtube.com. In the browser, click on or find, if you would, uh, search for Locked On Sports Atlanta. Pull that bad boy up, subscribe it, give us a review, tell us what you think about the show, leave us some comments. Always appreciate your feedback uh, as part of it. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at jmch 3 one six. Now we talked a little bit yesterday about the NFL draft and sort of where I'm at. And I said, I'm cautiously optimistic about what the Falcons are going to do in this draft. Now, with that being said, I, I want to have the best uh, of expectations. So what do I think the Falcons are realistically going to do? <clears throat> I do think that the Falcons are going to take a defensive player with the eighth pick and and i'm not sure that they will trade back or whatever like that although i'd like them to but i'm just going to kind of assume let let sort of things play out the way that they are they sit at eight i do think it's either going to be an edge rusher that they really like or it's going to be one of the corners i think it's going to be either sauce gardner or mod gardner or it's going to be Derek stingley or it's going to be one of the pass rushers if thibodeau falls to them jermaine johnson is sitting there i think those four players right now are the most likely scenario and i do think it will be defense first so i don't think it will be quarterback i don't think that's the position that they're going to invest in first and i don't think that it's going to be wide receiver i think some of the things that the falcons have done i don't think offensive line either by the way too so let me take that in but i think when you look at some of the things that the falcons have done what they haven't have addressed through free agency and i'm not saying that they fix their problems and free things but it comes to line of line wide receiver they have added some pieces and some bodies in places there to make sure that they have guys there that they can focus on other things in the draft what they haven't addressed and they know this i mean they have to know right that they're so deficient in their pass rush that you can't you can't play in the NFL with the kind of guys they've played with the last couple of years. Now, remember Dean P's exit interview, if you will, the, the final thing that he did before when the season was over. He talked about two things that the Falcons had to get better at. Number one, sacking the quarterback and pass rush. That was number one, first thing that came out of his mouth. The other part was two is being able to man up on wide receivers and play you know, straight man, if they need to, uh, in their secondary, then, you know, you mix and match everywhere else. So that's why it leads me to believe that this will be, at least in the first round, a defensive-minded pick. I would be surprised if it's something else. 
The other part about wide receiver, too, is if you go back-to-back years with wide receiver, if you you go tight end, unicorn, whatever you want to call Kyle Pitts, if that's what you go at four last year, and then at eight you turn back around and grab wide receiver, then why'd you get rid of Matt Ryan? Because you don't have a quarterback. Marcus Mariota's highest number of pass attempts in a season is around 450. I think the exact number is 453, okay? The last four years, Matt Ryan averaged 600 throws. So Mariota's not a guy who's going to stand back there, huck it all around, throw it all over the yard. And it's not like he didn't have talent, not like they didn't invest in wide receiver, but that's not what he does. He's not a throw it 600 times guy. Well, if you draft Kyle Pitts and you draft a wide receiver this year at eight, what the hell are you going to do? You're going to run it 50 times a game? You still can't block anybody up front. You still don't have a, a whole depth of quality running backs. And what would you have all these top pass catchers for if you're not going to, oh, I don't know, throw the football? You think Marcus Mariota is going to turn into a, a 700 pass attempt quarterback because he comes over with Arthur Smith? That's not going to happen. So that that's why it doesn't make sense even from the how we play football standpoint. Do the Falcons need a wide receiver? Yeah. But I, I, I put picks four and eight in back-to-back years, and I don't have a guy who can throw it 600 times or I'm going to let throw it 600. That, that makes no sense. So that's why I think when you look at it, Gardner, Stingley, Johnson, Thibodeau, I think those are the four most likely guys that the Falcons will pick. Now, you know how I feel. Um, I, I don't like the picket corner at all. And, and, and I said last night on my show, I don't want to be disappointed in the draft. I don't. I want to have a lot of hope and, and you know, faith, and, and we're going to fix some things. But there are going to be some things that will disappoint me. If they draft wide receiver, I will be disappointed. If they draft corner, I'm going to be disappointed. You know, I, I, won't, I won't be dis- – how about let – me, let me say it more easily like this. I will not be disappointed if they draft edge rush, offensive line, or even quarterback. Yes, I said quarterback. Because those are three positions right at the point of the football that they're not good. They're not good. So if it's defensive line, offensive line, or quarterback, I'm not going to be mad if they draft Malik Willis or something at eight. I understand the thinking. I don't understand the thinking if we start talking about guys who are way out here on this side, way out there where they play, way back here where they play. You know, the football, here's the football, right? Put the football down right here, okay? And I draft a guy who's way down there. Another guy who's way down there. That doesn't help my team. That doesn't make my team better. That doesn't fix any of the things that are causing me ill. And I think when you look at the offensive line pieces that they've added, they've talked about competition. You look at some of the linebacking with Evans and Carter, right? They've got some of that fixed, plus Debo's back, this, that, and the other. You look at what they did at corner. They added Casey Hayward. He's an absolute starter in the NFL. Plus, you brought back Isaiah Oliver. You kept Kendall Sheffield. <coughs> Excuse me. You did some things to just kind of keep your secondary. Doesn't mean they won't. I'm not saying that they won't draft some of these guys, but it, it seems like that they have at least 
gotten through what the first round pick would be there where they haven't really where they haven't really gone after anybody uh, and they've done that with a wide receiver with Auden Tate and some of the guys that they that they've brought in I think you know I, they're they're going to try a myriad of guys out there but they haven't truly fixed pass rush that that's one thing that they haven't truly fixed and they really haven't sunk in and addressed yet so I think the four most likely picks Gardner Stingley Johnson Thibodeau I think those are the four names most to look at when the Falcons draft coming up on Thursday. All right, uh, when we get back, we're going to talk to our Locked On Braves reporter, Jack Mastriani, who, uh, of course, covers the team, does a great job for us here on the network as the Braves get ready to take on the Chicago Cubs for a three-game set. It's all next on Hitting Hard with John Chuckry on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckry here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget, head over to our YouTube channel, Hit the subscribe button, be a part of the community, leave us some feedback. Of course, tell us what you think, and we always appreciate all of your comments. Follow me on Twitter at JMCH316. We are joined by our Locked on Braves podcast brethren, if you will. Jake Mastriani is joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at ShortstopBall. And Jake, thanks uh, for hanging out with me here. And uh, let's start with Eddie Rosario. The news yesterday, he's going to have to have some surgery on his eye. You think this changes the timetable for Ronald Acuna at all, or do you think they still plan on May 6th and maybe they use a stopgap or maybe they just kind of fill in for now for these next week or two? Yeah, I think the timetable on Ronald Acuna Jr. has already been moved up a little bit. I think if everything goes well this week, he's expected to play three or four games in the field. I think he comes back Monday, May 2nd for that Mets series. So, I do think his timetable gets moved up. I don't necessarily think it's in connection to the Eddie Rosario news, but there were already kind of hints and rumors that Acuna could come back before that May 6th date. So I think until then, you'll just see a, a mix and match of, you know, Alex Diggerson, Travis Demerit, Orlando Arcia, uh, Guillermo Heredia in the outfield trying to fill that void until Acuna comes back and really even after. You know, I'm, I'm curious too because, you know, Going into that Mets, you know, baseball is one of those things we can sort of look at in little blocks and stuff. And and this nine-game set where you had the Marlins at home, you got the Cubs coming in at home, then you're going to go to Texas. You got three below 500 teams. And for a team that really hadn't won a series this year, I really thought seven and two over this nine-game stretch. You know, get yourself on track. Texas is dreadful. And get hot before you head up to Gotham. But that didn't start. You know, that that didn't happen over the weekend. What is, I mean, you know, at some point you feel like they have to sort of catch fire and it just felt like this nine game set might be the time to start getting right before they played the Mets. It did. And really, I thought they had an opportunity that last game against the Dodgers because had a very favorable pitching matchup and that would have been a chance to get a big road series win against the Dodgers, come back home for, like you said, with the Marlins and the Cubs. I thought that was their chance to really start to take off, but yeah, you come home and you have a pretty favorable schedule against some below 500 teams and just not able to get it done. Uh, certainly hoping that when Ronald Acuna Jr. comes back, that will put a spark into the team, into the lineup, and get them going. But they're just not playing great baseball right now and striking out a ton. And they're getting their home runs, but their solo shots are not getting enough runners on base in front of the middle of the order. So, uh, you know, it's just... Again, it's just like we saw at the beginning of last year. Hopefully this year turns out similar. I, I, 
I'm not concerned about the Braves. I mean, we're so early in the season. But it is kind of frustrating, though, because it's easy to say, well, we'll just flip a switch and turn it on. Okay, well, that doesn't always happen in sports. You know, I mean, look at the start Rosario's had. Look at the start Solaris had. You know, it tells you that they really caught lightning in a bottle last year because neither one of those guys has exactly lit up the league since they've, you know, either been here or left the Braves out of all of it. And also, too, what happens if the Mets are good? You know what? I mean, that, that has to be factored in, too, is what happens if maybe the Mets are better than it? I just this idea that we just kind of sit back and wait and wait and wait and wait. It's like, OK, that's not always how sports favors you. It doesn't always it's not always just as easy as push a button. Let's go. And now we can make it happen. Yeah, and I think the Mets are different this year. You look at their game on Monday night. They were down 2 nothing to the Cardinals in the ninth inning and scored five runs to come back and win that game. I do think this Mets team is different. They are for real. And to your point, the Braves can't do like they did last year and just continue to stumble and be frustrating like they are out of the box and then hope that the Mets will still be there once you get to the trade deadline. I don't think that will be the case this season so you do need to pick things up here pretty quickly get going you can't fall too far behind these guys or you're not going to have a chance to win the division and you're right last year they they caught lightning in a bottle with you know duvall rosario i mean look duvall is not playing well at all you know like you said i mean rosario you can kind of blame a little bit of that on the blurry blurred vision (laughs) um certainly and he's just a notoriously slow starter in the month of April, but it's really just the lineup up and down outside of those, you know, three guys in the middle of the order and Ozzy hitting a solo home run every now and then. So they got to pick it up. They got to get going. They can't let this thing get too far away from them. You know, it's Ronnie obviously will slide right up into the leadoff spot and and that fixes that part of the order. I still think though that he's going to hit Matt Olson in that two spot. I think that Snitker really likes those high on base guys at the top of his order. That's, you know, that really puts the pressure now on, okay, Riley, Ozuna, you're going to have a lot of guys on base in front of you. You, you, When you get to your middle of the order, especially with Olson and Acuna at the very top, you're going to have a lot of high on base. And it is a trade-off, Jake. I mean, you know, it's great to have Matt Olson getting on base, but boy, you sort of just sacrifice some of his production, right? I mean, and they did a little bit of that with Freddie Freeman as well. But, you know, that I guess that's the trade-off. I guess that's the, just what you have to live with because of the depth of the lineup. You do. And like you said, that's what they did with Freddie Freeman. You see the Angels do that with Mike Trout a lot. You know, it's become a trend to put your best player, your best on-base guy in that two spot. But you're right. It does kind of take away his some of his value of being a, a run producer. But still, I mean, that one through four or five in the lineup for the Braves, when you look at what Travis Darno is doing in the season that he is having, if he can stay healthy, you know, you look at a lineup of what I think it will be when Ronnie comes back of Acuna, Olsen, Riley, Ozuna, <laughs> Ozzy, and Travis. I mean, that's a really good one through six. I think when all those guys are on and they're, they're clicking and, and back fully healthy, I think this Braves offense will take off like a lot of us thought. The problem for me are those last three spots in the lineup where you don't have very good on-base guys, and that's what you've really seen hurt the Braves early on. You don't have guys at the bottom of the order getting on base to set up those guys at the top in, a, in Olsen and Riley in Ozuna, and I think that's what's really 
coming back to hurt the Braves right now. Swansea's not a high on base guy. Duvall's not a high on base guy. Rosario's never really been a high on base guy. And so not being able to set up the top of the order for the guys who have been hitting is what's really held this offense back early on. You think they have their mind made up on Dansby? You think as he's into this walk year, they already know what Dansby is? Or are you, do you think that they are still kind of, okay, let's see if he can replicate last year. Let's see if he can do this. Because, look, the reality is he's a gold glove caliber shortstop. Probably should have won the gold glove two years ago in the, in the pandemic year. Um, he's a 20-plus home run hitter at shortstop. For whatever he does, there aren't a whole lot of those guys. He, you know, if I told you 20 homers in, in gold glove shortstop ability, there aren't a lot of those guys around at one of the most important positions. But it does feel like they just kind of play this wait and see mode about whether or not they're going to extend him long term. I do think I do think they wait. I don't I don't think there are any any reason right now to talk about an extension with Dansby Swanson. See how the season plays out, how he progresses. Remember, he's only 28 years old still, even though it feels like he's been here forever. And just see how it plays out and see what the shortstop market looks like. It could be a very strong market with Alexander Bogarts and Carlos Correa potentially being added to the mix along with Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson. So I think they take the wait-and-see approach. I, I believe they let the season play out it's not like Dansby's gonna run away from them uh, it's kind of a you know a similar situation to Freddie Freeman last season I think they can wait as long as they need to with Dansby Swanson and see you know what other fits are out there try to get the best deal for the Braves I'm not saying they won't entertain bringing him back I just don't think there's any rush to do so right now and I think that it's probably best for them to just let things play out this season and see if he can make those adjustments become more of a consistent hitter you know, I'll say this. He ain't giving them the hometown discount. I mean, this is his first chance to cash in as a major leaguer. And I, I don't I don't see him giving back money just for the sake of saying, let me play in Atlanta. I mean, you have to do what you have to do. I don't think that – I don't know that any team is going to give him, like Matt Olson, eight years on a contract or whatever. I don't think Dansby's given any money back, and that's why I'm wondering if – if they're willing to just kind of walk away. I know they have the kid from that was at Texas A&M uh, in their minor league system uh, that they've got, you know, a, a potential guy, maybe in a couple of years that that could come up and play. But it, it's just, it. there are certain positions on the field that are hard to find and shortstop is one of them. If you feel like you got a quality guy, it's hard to just kind of let that guy walk away from your franchise. It, it is, but look, I, I said during the off season, when we talked about extensions, I'd be willing to go for maybe five years at around 11, 12 million for Dansby. That's really as high as I would want to go for, for Dansby Swanson. And I like Dansby Swanson. I'm a Dansby Swanson supporter. If he wants more than that, can get more than that somewhere else, then you got to let him go. I mean, I tend to think that he will take somewhat of a hometown discount to stay with the Braves. I think he loves being here, but we said the same thing about Freddie Freeman and that didn't work out, but the Braves do have some internal options. You were referring to Braden Shoemake. I don't really see him as a fit long-term at shortstop. Perhaps he's a short-term solution. Vaughn Grissom is the guy. He's at high A right now that if he progresses this year, continues to uh, show what he did last season when he was one of the best bats in the system. If he continues to regress, he may not be ready next year, but perhaps the year after that. So if they think he is legit prospect and can stick at shortstop, then maybe they go with a stopgap, you know, kind of veteran next year 
and wait until Grissom is ready. So, I mean, they have some options, but you're right to the point when shortstop's such a vital position in baseball and you have somebody as solid as Dansby, even though you have to live with some of the streakiness at the plate, you know, it's hard to replace that. So, again, four or five years, $12 million, I, I would be okay with that with Dansby, but also wouldn't lose sleep if, if they did let him go somewhere else. We saw in Noah get moved down, a guy that I was kind of hoping could bounce back in the rotation, just get back to what he was in the first half of last season. You know, obviously Kyle Wright's been terrific, but Ian Anderson's had his struggles. I mean, it's been up and down with the starters. You know, when when do we start to get a little bit worried about about guys? When when does that kind of calendar flip? I mean, we're about to change the roster up here in about a week or so. You know, we'll go back to 26 guys and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, I, I we're kind of to me, it seems like we're we're closing out that window of, OK, well, they didn't have a long spring training and stuff. And we're a month into the season here. Yeah, the spring training excuses are, are out the window at this point, in my opinion. You can you can use them for those first couple of starts because spring training was shortened. And guys, in particular like Ian Anderson, who had a spring training start, start skipped because of rain, I gave him a little bit more of a leash than some of the other pitchers. But that excuse for me is out the window right now. And so going forward, you know, it's really what can these guys do. And I think the starting rotation is fine. I think Max Fried is going to be fine. I don't really worry about Charlie Morton, even though his last couple of starts haven't been great. Kyle Wright looks like the real deal. He looks like the Kyle Wright we've all hoped for. I think Ian Anderson will be just fine. Um, and so then it's just up to that fifth spot and who can grab hold of that, whether it's Bryce Elder, whether it's uh, Spencer Strider getting a shot. Maybe they give Tucker Davidson or Chuki Tucson another shot in that spot. But, I don't think Waskari Noah will get another shot. I think he needs to spend time at AAA, develop some more of his secondary pitches before he gets another opportunity. Jake Mastriani hosts our Locked on Braves podcast, and uh, you can check him out every day there and at Shortstop Ball on Twitter. Jake, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes uh, with me here today, and let's get this thing turned around against the Cubs. God's sakes, let's get some wins for God's sakes. Yeah, absolutely. Here. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it, buddy. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go on to YouTube, search out Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about the show. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. It is at JMCH316. Well, it's Tuesday night, and it's Game 5 of Hawks and Heat. And if the Hawks win, we'll get a Game 6 on Thursday. They lose. Hasta lasagna. Don't get any on you. Your season is officially over at that point. So we talked yesterday about the disappointment in what was game four with the Atlanta Hawks at home, blown up by 24 points uh, in that game. What do I expect the Hawks to do tonight? I don't know. I don't know. See, that's the problem. See, I'd like to think that this team, after making a run to the Eastern Conference Finals, bounces back and finds a way and their backs are against the wall. You saw Friday night, <clears throat> they were down backs against the wall. You had no choice. You had to win. Bop, 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 bop. You got it done, right? You figured it out. You got it done. One pretty one. Great. Wasn't the way you'd love to be able to go out and win a basketball game, but you found a way to win the game. Same scenario comes on Sunday and Sunday plays out and you look good in the first quarter. You hit some shots, you got the lead all good, right? Second quarter, <clears throat> You just tank. And it never caught back up. And the Heat took it to you. 
You, you played sort of out of sync. Your star didn't play like a star. Your role players didn't play like role players. You didn't do a whole lot good. And it just all fell apart. And that was disappointing because you had a crowd that was into it and ready to see the Hawks win a basketball game. Can the Hawks go down tonight and beat Miami? Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely can. They can they can go down and beat the Heat. I do think that early on in this game, you are going to see the Heat really get after the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, from a physical standpoint, they've shown that they can get physical and get after the Hawks. They're going to try to beat them up early. They're going to try to hit some big shots early. They're going to try to force some turnovers early and really get the Hawks out of sync and out of their game early on to the point of hoping that, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a repeat performance from what happened on Sunday that we can take them out of this thing and it just gets away from them and the Hawks start to look at the reality of, wow, our season is about to be over for all of it. I hope that's not the case. I don't want to think that the Hawks go down there and get run out of their arena and we talk about, you know, well, we're on to the offseason and all that kind of stuff. That's the frustrating part about all this for me is we don't know what team we're going to get. And, and we've been going over this and over this. The team that when Phoenix, Memphis, and Golden State came to State Farm Arena, you beat them, you handled them. But the team that lost twice to Detroit, blew a lead against the Houston Rockets on your home floor, that's also the Hawks this year. And that's the story of the year, and that will be the story of the game tonight. I want to believe that Trey Young is going to go down to Miami and he's going to put up 40 tonight and they're going to win. I don't know. You know, he sounded awful dejected after the game the other night where he's like, well, you know, they've got five guys are coming at us. Well, okay, well, what's changed about, you know, what's different from game four and game one and two and three? It's all the same thing. Miami, the Miami Heat haven't changed their stripes and they haven't changed who they are and they haven't come out as a they disguised you right it's not like a uh uh you know like in the movie rocky you know when he comes out you know fighting right-handed there's a natural southpaw so you know creed's anticipating that and he comes out fighting right-handed to confuse him i mean the heat haven't done that and, and the heat aren't out personnelling the hawks like look up and down the heat roster and say okay you know, here's my fantasy basketball roster. You know, it's not Golden State where they had KD and Steph and Clay and Draymond. And, okay, we got all these guys that you just don't have enough stars to match up with us. It's not what's happening in this series. The Heat are better coached. They play their game. They don't change their identity. And they have their guys that they count on. And their guys that they count on deliver night in and night out. Jimmy Butler is a, a leader of men. He's a difference maker. He's a guy that everywhere he goes, that franchise is instantly better for it. Minnesota, Chicago, Philly, Miami, your franchise is instantly better. I don't know if the Hawks have that leader kind of guy. And you'll say, well, you know, Trey Young is any of them. Okay. Is he really a leader? Does, is does everybody kind of like listen and rally around what he says or do they, you know, get in the flow of when he's going good 
you know, it gives opportunity to other guys. So I don't know what to expect out of the Hawks tonight. I really don't. I'd love to sit here and tell you, oh, Hawks going to win. And blah, 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 blah. and we'll be back Thursday with a game six. I can tell you this, the Hawks aren't winning this series. They're, the Hawks are not going to. There is nothing about the Hawks so far in the series that tells me that they're ready to win three straight games. Because that's what you need now at this point, is you have to win three straight times. Miami, Atlanta, Miami. I haven't seen anything that tells me that they're ready to just close out the Miami Heat and win three straight times without another loss mixed in for all of it. I hope the Hawks win tonight. I want to see the Hawks win tonight. They're going to have to get it going early. Trey Young's going to have to get involved early. He's going to have to get to the basket early. He's going to have to create some chaos for the uh, Miami Heat defense. They're going to have to pick him up high. I mean, they're going to have to set some picks up high for him and try to rub him off, you know, Clint Capella, and try to free him up and loosen him up and give him some advantages. You're going to have to move the ball around the perimeter. You're going to have to get guys to hit open shots. And you're going to have to get your role players to step up their game. See, all that sounds great and easy, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it's this and that and this and that, nine different things that have to happen. Can the Hawks do it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I have a... I have a bad feeling that the Hawks are going down there tonight and they're going to lose because Eric Spolstra's message is going to be very, very simple to the Miami Heat. We are not going back to Atlanta. We are not packing up, catching a plane, flying back up there in a couple of days turnaround time, going on the road to have to go play the Hawks. We're going to close this thing out tonight. We're going to sleep in our own bed, and we're going to be done and over with this series. And now we're going to focus on whatever comes next for us. And that's going to be Spolster's message. That's going to be the message the Miami Heat team sent. Because the Miami Heat don't want to have to get on an airplane and fly up here for Thursday. We finish late Tuesday night. We got to be here <clears throat> maybe tomorrow afternoon, you know, or Thursday morning. However, that's going to work. He don't want to do that. Come out. They're going to throw haymakers. They're going to try to knock you off early out there. So, look, we'll probably know. Watch the first six or eight minutes of this game tonight. Watch the first six, eight minutes of this game. I think you'll have a pretty clear understanding about where these two teams are at. The Hawks can survive and weather the storm. I'm not talking about from the crowd standpoint and this and the other. The Hawks can find a way to weather the storm and get through that initial rush that the Miami Heat are going to bring, maybe they find a way to pull this thing out. But it's a real uphill battle, and after what happened on Sunday, I just don't know what Hawks team I'm going to get. All right, we uh, thank you so much for being a part uh, of the show. Of course, we want you to head over to our YouTube channel. You just go to Locked On Sports uh, Atlanta. You can find us there very easily. And, of course, you know we're asking you to uh, be a part of our community uh, as well uh, on Twitter at JMCH316. We thank you for making Hitting Hard with John Trucker your first listen every day. Now make your second listen be A to Z with my buddy Mark Zinno. Return to Mark Zinno, Atlanta Sports. Uh, sports opinions you may not like, but listen, you know you need to hear them. A to Z with Mark Zinno. It's part of Locked On Sports Atlanta as well. Free and available on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. So we'll be back with you tomorrow. We'll recap the Hawks. We'll see what goes on there. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta.